1 Peter chapter 3, and we've got the first um, seven verses. I'm reading from the NIV. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the beauty and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So a bit of context. Peter's talking here to the dispersed Christians, and he, he calls them in the previous chapter resident aliens and strangers in the world. So this metaphor, aliens, has a powerful influence because it draws on the, uh, one of the central themes of Hebrew scriptures. Abraham was called to go far from his homeland. His descendants became aliens in the land of Egypt. The Hebrew nation went on to live as aliens uh, under Babylonian rule. And, and even when the Israelite people had their own land, God demanded of them that they lived completely differently to the, the people around and the surrounding cultures. But maybe as Christians, the root of our understanding of ourselves and our lives as um, aliens and sojourners uh, lies most powerfully in the life of Jesus Christ, his mission and his rejection, leading ultimately to, to the cross. Uh, the Gospel of John starts by saying he came to his own people, but they didn't want him. He was estranged from the world because the world into which he came was estranged from God. And so we see that Peter is primarily concerned here with the Christian life in a non-Christian environment. And his emphasis is a missional one. He's interested in the spreading of the gospel. These early Christians, they had to work out whether they were going to try and live in a holy huddle where they could um, get on with uh, living out their new values um, more easily um, without too much distraction from outside, or whether they were going to live such good lives scattered throughout the society that the gospel could go forward. See, it, it wasn't just about them surviving. Now, it can be difficult to look back on the situation with men and women in Peter's time with our 21st century eyes. And uh, you know, while we believe that these scriptures speak directly to us, it is very important to understand the context because then we can understand just how radical what Peter's saying is. Um, I'm sure everybody realizes that women had a very, very low status uh, in Greek culture. They would have had no legal rights. Aristotle believed that they were an inferior form of life. 
Uh, he, no, he did. No, seriously, he did. Yeah. He, he was a bit misinformed about biology. He, he believed that uh, women really contributed nothing much to reproduction, that, that men contributed sperm, which was, well, I don't know whether he actually knew it was sperm, but he knew that was the life force. And women basically were like the soil that life grew on. They, he, uh, he, yeah, he didn't know about uh, how things really worked. He, he, he actually also believed that women had fewer teeth. I don't know why that was important. I don't know why that was important to him. And he was married to her. I don't know why he never bothered to look in his wife's mouth. And I don't know. <laughs> but seriously, um, let's put that there. Uh, this, was, this was a pretty awful time to be a girl. Um, girl babies were often exposed, um, especially second, second girls in a family. They were just seen as a, a difficult and expensive nuisance. Uh, they would die by the wayside of exposure, of starvation. Often they'd be eaten by wild animals. Um, and obviously in many cases they'd be picked up, sold into slavery, often sexual slavery. That's horrifying, isn't it? But it's not something that doesn't happen in the world today. So Peter's talking to women who now realize that they are made in the image of God, but they're on equal terms with men. But he's talking to the women who have to continue to live in a society and under an empire that certainly doesn't re uh, recognize this. Peter's concern is that, that Christians lived in a way that didn't bring the gospel into disrepute. So he tells wives to submit to their husbands. Read it again. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. In the same way as what? Well, we can't start reading a letter halfway through. I don't know, probably everyone wasn't here last week. Uh, we've got to think in the same way as what? Well, if we look back... Um, we look back to verse 11, where he says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. And then verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So he's all about how we live a life, such good lives, that um, the people around, even though they they're, um, want to criticize us, that they can't help but be affected by us. He then goes on to talk about um, submitting yourselves to every authority, even bad authority. He talks about slaves submitting yourselves to your masters with all respect even when they're harshly treated. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. So does Peter appear to be telling both of these oppressed groups, women and slaves, just to passively, passively accept the injustice of the day, to even accept violence and harsh treatment? I don't know about you, but I think it's not difficult for me to read these chapters and think Peter is sailing very close to the wind here. He seems to suggest we should just put up with uh, injustice and, and just collude with um, violence. Uh, for sure, such abuse um, has been allowed to continue over the centuries because nobody stood up to it. I find it particularly painful um, because of some of the things I'm involved in in my work. I find it painful to acknowledge that these verses have been used to tell uh, women to go back to abusive husbands. which is quite wrong. But of course, this is not what Peter's getting at. There's no merit in putting ourselves in harm's way or staying in an abusive situation because of some vague notion that good might come out of it. 
The Bible doesn't promote this. And as uh, Markey was at pains to um, point out last week, cruelly treated slaves were, were to escape if they could. Though that wasn't easy. Jesus often had to remove himself from dangerous situations and uh, stay hidden. The thing is, these Christians, they were involved in conflict that they didn't provoke and they couldn't avoid. A revolt would have meant more violence and more suffering. Remember Spartacus? Submission isn't the same as letting someone take advantage of you. And it isn't about who's in charge. When we look at the example of Jesus, we, began to see, we begin to see that, yeah, submission's not about being a doormat. The, but the call to follow a crucified Messiah was, in the long run, much more effective in changing the unjust political, economic, and social structures than any direct exhortations to revolutionize them would ever have been. So Peter is concerned about the quality of the marriage relationship. And how if, if all this was handled wrongly, families and, um, families and communities would, would have begun to disintegrate. This wouldn't have uh, shown the gospel in a good light. If women had been standing up and claiming their newfound status in Christ in the, in the wrong way. But it's still quite difficult for us to look back, really, and understand that. But Peter points us to the example of Jesus. Many people thought Jesus had come to lead a revolution, didn't they? to overthrow uh, the Roman occupation and bring in his new kingdom by force. But we know that Jesus completely turned away from that. He turned away from the temptation to, to use his godly power in that way. He chose instead the way of love and of servanthood. He, he uses his power in a completely different way. He's quietly subversive. He's not self-promoting. In the end, he shows evil up for what it is, as he refuses to meet violence with violence. He ultimately lays down his life. To submit, then, is to choose out of love, to give up our rights and our entitlements. The call to submission is the call to be constantly mindful of the well-being of the other. So even though Christian women, they, they, knew, they now knew that the way they were regarded was as lesser beings, was completely wrong. But they demonstrated the powerlessness of this lie by choosing to go even further, by choosing to go the extra mile. By doing that, they could highlight the temporary nature of this unjust structure. Yeah, they lived under the temporary authority of empire, which valued them only really for reproduction and for the sexual pleasure of men. This was a time of systemic and systematic inequality. But Peter had been watching Jesus closely. He gives advice about not challenging this authority directly. He had the idea that the power of the gospel, the way that it will spread, is in letting others see that Jesus, that Christians, letting others see that Christians are not most concerned with their rights and their entitlements. But like Jesus, with demonstrating the most true and the most genuine way of being human. So Peter's pointing them towards a radical change in their attitude towards authority. So wives are instructed to lay down their own interests and serve their husbands to the best of their ability, not resentfully and with bad grace, but by choosing out of love to concern themselves with his best interests. 
According to Tom Wright, the um, theologian and um, ancient historian, this was actually one of the main ways in which the gospel spread at this time. Households were converted because of a Christian wife. Now, this was not the usual order of things. Women were expected to follow their husbands' religions. Christian women who were married to non-believers couldn't expect their husband to acknowledge or respect her newfound faith or its practices or its values. Yet it seems that in many cases, men responded to the way that women acted rather than what they said. There's a quote that I keep coming across. Um, It's attributed to Francis of Assisi, but I think there's no evidence that he actually said it. Um, That uh, we should uh, preach the gospel by all means, uh, and if necessary, use words. So, mission then, according to a writer called Miroslav Wolf, who, uh, uh, Pete, no, not Pete, that's you, Mike, Mike Pears was quoting when he was here last, in a book, in a, book uh, a chapter actually, on um, Christian communities in pluralistic societies. He says this, mission then fundamentally takes the form of witness and invitation, seeking to win others without pressure or manipulation, often without a word. Now, I think this is quite a challenge to some of us married women and, and men. Well, actually to me, really. We've been talking a, a great deal recently about living out our faith in the workplace, and um, this is all very relevant to that. But what about how we are at home? What about continuously living in a selfless way there? Those of us who are married and have got children, but work outside the homework, inside the home... It's all too easy to be distracted by a constant, uh, by all the constant demands on us. It's, it's too easy to be distracted, to have a constant concern for the well-being of the other. I was, ta- I was talking to somebody yesterday, a, 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 who's a local church leader, actually, um, and, he, and he was saying, actually, sometimes living like that in relation to our colleagues and our neighbours is not the most difficult thing. It can be living like that in relation to the people that we actually live with, our husbands or wives. How many of us, when the children were small, worked on a system of unspoken brownie points? (laughs) Just to ensure there was a fair distribution of the work and the childcare and the loss of sleep. I can remember graciously, generously waving Craig off on various business trips and endless band practices. All the while, (laughs) I was thinking about the credit I was amassing. (laughs) (laughs) But Paul talks to us about the marriage relationship. He talks about it in terms of submission and sacrifice. And I think any of us who are here have been married for any length of time would say that actually marriage takes a shed load of submission and sacrifice. So Peter goes on then to give some advice to to women about how they should dress. (laughs) But actually, this is more radical good news for women in an oppressively patriarchal society. I was thinking about this this week. I was thinking about looking back at the Old Testament writers and when they mention women, they nearly always pass some comment on whether she was beautiful or not. It seems that's what women were valued for. Well, I think we know that's what they were valued for. 
In the New Testament writings, it's just not the same, is it? Once Jesus had come and turned things upside down, it seems that his followers valued women for something quite different. Something different to the way they looked and what they could do for men. I don't know whether anyone else saw this, but I saw that um, Mrs. Thatcher's granddaughter has been hailed as a pinup by the uh, tabloid press. Is this a 19-year-old girl who was attending a grandmother's funeral? But Jesus treated women with respect. Respect and dignity in a way that was quite counter to the norms of the time. He was respectful towards young women, elderly women, sick women, menstruating women, foreign women, all sorts of socially unacceptable women. It seems he afforded them exactly the same level of respect as he did to the male ruling classes. In fact, the first person to be entrusted with the good news of his resurrection was Mary. She's in many ways the first apostle, isn't she? She goes rushing off to tell the other disciples. And women worked alongside Paul, and he mentions them without ever passing comment on whether they were good-looking. Have I noticed that? Now, in our society, women have the right to freedom from sexism. It's enshrined in law. But this freedom, I'm afraid to say, I think it's really rather superficial, isn't it? So I don't think Peter's making a dig of fashion. I don't think he's saying oh, you women shouldn't take so much, shouldn't worry about your appearance in a critical way. He's talking about freedom. And our children, are, are the, boys, are the boys and girls of this country, they're growing up um, amidst what we, can, what we can sometimes describe as constant wallpaper of sexualized imagery. Teenage girls, as long as I can remember, have worried about their appearance and whether they look quite right, whether they fit in. But never before has there been such widespread and unavoidable depiction of of women as sex objects. Peter's talking about matters of identity here. And he's very concerned that men and women don't build their relationships solely on the basis of something so passing as appearance. I, I think we need to talk about porn here. Uh-oh, I know you didn't come to church to talk about porn. I just sing a nice hymn. There's always been pornography. It hasn't ever been so easily accessible as it is now because of technology. A few years ago, it was a case of putting the right controls on the family computer, and you'd think probably all right. But, but our children have access to a, a number of different portable devices. Children are accessing porn in this country as young as 10 or 11. The average age is thought to be 11. And there's mounting evidence that it's from porn that they're getting their ideas about gender, about gender identity, about relationships, and obviously about sex. So the objectification of the female body is as much a problem now as it ever, ever was. It was in these times. And it's increasingly difficult to protect our children and young people from the effects of it. Girls actually do feel they should look and act like the women they see online. Boys are also under pressure. They're under pressure to objectify girls. They're all under pressure to be sexually active very young. Bear in mind, too, that this stuff often depicts humiliation and violence. Yeah, the male body is objectified too, since that Diet Coke advert. 
Increasingly, a number of uh, young men uh, struggle with uh, bo uh, body image, and eating disorders affect young men too. But this isn't a sign that the problem's abating, somehow equalizing. It's just widening, isn't it? Jesus came to bring freedom from slavery, slavery and exploitation, from the buying and selling of human beings, from the stereotyping and commercialization of the human body. Consumer culture is all about having our desires fulfilled, isn't it? Which story are we telling? It's so important that young people get the message about their intrinsic worth, that they're made in the image of God, that they learn early about the value of lasting, respectful relationships. I just think it's something we need to talk about. And actually, while we're on the subject of youth, I, I can't really not mention um, what, what goes on here on a Friday night. We've, uh, we run a youth club for 11 to 14. And uh, the last few Fridays, we've had over 60, over 60 young people from the local community have been coming here. It seems they love having somewhere they can hang out, they feel safe and valued. Well, I hope they do. But we, we really don't have enough volunteers to run this properly. We're going to have to think carefully about whether we can continue this work. Yeah, I can, I can see what you're thinking. Can't imagine myself going and relating to all these young people. But maybe just the fact that you made an effort to come out on a Friday night and do the washing up or whatever communicates quite powerfully how much we value our local young people. Think about it. Okay, back to Peter. I'm not going to dwell on this example of Sarah. To be honest, I'm not really that clear why Peter uses her in his example. She wasn't married to a non-believer, and she didn't seem to be that submissive, actually. But she was something of a popular heroine in Jewish culture, and maybe um, Peter uses her as a well-known example of a, a woman who was uh, willing to set off in very scary situations with her husband and trust God. So now we come to the instructions to husbands and uh, we find that this is also prefixed with in the same way. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So this is the bit we've all been waiting for, the bit about women being weaker than men. I was, I was talking to Craig about this. He said, yeah, and shorter. <laughs> so I don't know whether any of the men are a bit worried. I'm going to challenge you to a 10-mile run to settle this. But, but no, I think we can all acknowledge that uh, men, although there are women who are stronger than many men, in general, because of greater muscle mass and, and size difference, men will, in general, be bigger and stronger than women. So that's important, isn't it? What, what Peter's saying is, look, men, you mustn't use the fact that you're bigger and stronger to get the upper hand. Nobody should use the fact that they're bigger and stronger to get or keep the upper hand. I think we know that's, that's bullying, isn't it? 
the women at the time that Peter was writing had many other disadvantages besides the physical. As we've seen, they were systematically discriminated against. They were regarded as intellectually inferior. Even today in our society, I think because of women's role in uh, childbearing, women do have times of much greater vulnerability than, than men. And I, I don't know whether you all know, I, but domestic violence is still a huge problem in this country, in our culture, amongst people like us. It's uh, thankfully, and not for full time, it's completely illegal, and women do have recourse to law. But women are still vulnerable. So these men are told to honor their wives as joint heirs. Well, that's a radical idea, right? In Peter's time, women couldn't be heirs of anything, could they? They couldn't inherit. There have been laws in this country until relatively recently that women can't inherit. So this is important, this honoring and joint heirs. It's not patronizing. It's not looking down on. We have such a negative view of weakness, don't we? To us, weakness means lesser. But just remember that one of the overall stories of the big story of the Bible is about strength in weakness. It's about younger sons inheriting. The story of David is the story of the youngest of the sons of Jesse being chosen rather than his bigger, stronger brothers. Across the world, violence against women is still massive. It's a massive, widespread problem. Honor killings, forced marriage, genital mutilation, sexual slavery, rape as a weapon of war, power abuse. But as I looked at these instructions to husbands not to abuse their power, I started to think a bit more widely. What about the situations and the relationships that I have where I'm the one with the power? How do we treat those people who have fewer advantages than we do? What about in world terms? This very much echoes what, what Claire has been talking to us about, doesn't it? I think it was St. Ambrose who reminds us that when we give, when we give to the needy, it's not charity, we're just giving them what belongs to them anyway. World trade systems have been set up by the developed countries, the rich countries. They've been set up to, to protect their own interests. They've been set up to hold on to the power. But to truly love involves laying down some of our power, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. And as followers of Jesus, we of all people should understand that. Luke's telling of the gospel particularly is a story of power turned on its head, starting with Mary's song. She sings about rulers being brought down and the humble being lifted up. And so, just as I, I finish, I, I, I think this, this whole letter, it constantly points us to the example of Jesus. 
submission is about choosing out of love to empty ourselves, to lay ourselves down. It's not about seeking power and position. It's about the willingness to lay it down. I know I've sort of touched on some difficult stuff there, and so please um, come and chat with me afterwards. I, I don't know how clear I've, I've made it, really, but um, let's just spend some time praying now and um, worshipping. <laughs>